0: Hello, and welcome to the Sermons of Our Saviour Lutheran Church in Fort DePel, Saskatchewan. I'm Pastor Joshua Curtinbach, and today is the 17th Sunday after Pentecost. The Gospel reading for this Sunday is from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 9th chapter. The disciples went on from there and passed through Galilee, and Jesus did not want anyone to know. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him and when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child, and put him in the midst of them, and Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me but him who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the central tenets of the Christian faith is that Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man in one person, was crucified, died, and was buried, and on the third day rose again from the dead. It is extremely important. Without it, there would be no Christianity. And as St. Paul said, if Christ had not been raised, our faith is futile, and we are still in our sins. It certainly, its centrality is seen in that it is present and central in all four Gospels. It is preached throughout Acts. It is preached time and time again in the epistles. Over time, the cross and the crucifix, the cross which depicts our Lord upon it, became one of the symbols of the faith. It is no wonder, then, that the devil constantly attacks this central point in the world, trying to make it seem as if it did not really happen. It is no coincidence that around the time of Easter, when we celebrate our Lord's glorious resurrection from the dead, that documentaries and television shows become prominent that attempt to discredit the Gospels, specifically the death and resurrection of Jesus. Honest, unbelieving historians that look at evidence will say, yes, Jesus lived and he was crucified, but their unbelief refuses to allow them to say that he rose again from the dead, despite the evidence. And is it any wonder that in our rational age, there are people that claim to be Christians who will say that they do not believe Jesus rose from the dead bodily. Instead, they spiritualize it, saying that he merely rose from the dead spiritually, or that his spirit lived on and appeared to the disciples. They deny his resurrection and trivialize it, saying things like, It symbolizes the triumph of good over evil, or It never is too late for hope, or dreams, or social justice, etc. It may sound Christian on the surface, but no, brothers and sisters, one cannot deny the resurrection and be a Christian. One cannot deny the resurrection and have faith, for the object of faith is the crucified and risen Jesus Christ, If you deny that resurrection, your trust is not in Jesus, but in a figment of your imagination. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was very real and very necessary. It is, and I say this with no hint of hyperbole, the most important event in the history of the world. It has surpassed everything else and will never be surpassed. It was the event which was foretold in the Garden of Eden after the fall into sin by our first parents. It was prophesied by the prophets of the Old Testament as they looked forward to their Redeemer, their Messiah, who would come in the flesh as God. And by this time in our gospel lesson, Jesus had already told his disciples about his passion on one occasion. He had told them of his mission. While they were still in the region of the Gentiles, he told them that he would suffer many things and be rejected by the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem, killed and on the third day rise again. This was the first time he said anything like this to them. Previously, he had been healing, performing miracles, and casting out demons. To the disciples, this is what the kingdom of God looked like, but it was only a part of it. After his transfiguration, he set his face toward Jerusalem as the time drew closer. Peter, not understanding why Jesus was speaking like this, rebuked him, thinking that this was beyond his master and that he should not talk in this way. In response, the Lord rebuked Peter, telling him that his thoughts came not from God, but Satan. Now they're back in Galilee, and he tells them again, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and when he is killed, after three days he will rise. St. Mark tells us, The disciples did not understand the saying. They were afraid to ask. It seems strange to us at first to hear that they did not understand. This was the second time Jesus had said something like this to them. The first time they understood the words, why not now? Well, it's not because they didn't understand the meaning of the words those were clear enough what they did not understand was the significance of them they did not understand why he was saying this what it meant was it some sort of parable was there a deeper meaning that they needed to understand was he simply telling them that he was going to be killed soon why did he tell them why would he go to jerusalem if he knew that this is what awaited him these questions the disciples did not know the answer to and they did not care to know for the answers they thought were frightening they made them afraid and so they did not ask him to go any further yet they missed the significance of what he was telling them they did not understand that what he was saying to them was in, in accordance with the scriptures he spoke in accordance with the law and the prophets and the writings which spoke of these things and their meaning he would go willingly to his death like a gentle lamb led to slaughter because he was the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world like the scapegoat on the Day of Atonement, who carried the sin of Israel out of the camp, Jesus carried the sins of the world upon himself, even though he was without sin. Like the Lamb that was slain on Passover, whose blood shielded those in the houses whose doorposts were marked by them from the, death of, the plague of death, his blood shed on the altar of the cross on Passover, shields those washed in it from eternal death and hell. Yes, his death, which all the Old Testament sacrifices pointed to, is an atonement. It is the atonement. This was the great significance of his death, which atoned for the sins not only of his day, but stretching back all the way to Adam and Eve, stretching forward to the last day. So then all who have faith in him are justified, forgiven, and their sins are no more. They're clothed with Christ's righteousness. His righteousness is imputed, that is, granted to the one who has faith in him as a gift, that is, both for the one before his sacrifice such as Abraham who believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, as well as those who are on this side of the atonement. Faith that is trust in Christ Jesus and his promises of forgiveness, life, and salvation is what receives the benefits of Christ's atonement, which justifies, so that we are credited as righteous, having the righteousness of God that comes by faith. And what does his resurrection play into this? To put it simply, his resurrection guarantees our resurrection. For by faith we participate in the life of Christ. His sinless life and righteousness is credited to us. His death becomes our death so that we die with him. So his resurrection becomes our resurrection to new life. He has demonstrated to us that he has defeated death once and for all. And when he returns to put an end to death, he will raise all from the dead. Those with faith in him will share in a resurrection like his, a resurrection to new life. Where having died to sin, we live to God. His resurrection is a promise to us that just as he was raised from the dead on the third day, he will raise us up on the last day so that we may live with him in the new creation with renewed flesh that is free from sin. If only his disciples had asked, they would not need to be afraid. They would have pondered of this wonder of wonders about how the Son of God, true God from true God, came down from heaven for us men and for our salvation, making himself lowly in order to serve and save us. To become the least of all in giving himself into the hands of those who would kill him. He became the servant of all, carrying in himself the sins of the world, which he would bear on the cross in order to save us. So, when the Lord brought a child into the midst of the twelve, he was not saying to them, Whoever receives such an innocent one receives me. For at that time, a child was not the image of innocence and purity as our culture thinks today. Rather, a child was lowly, the lowliest member of the family, the weakest member, the most vulnerable member. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but he who sent me. Our Lord identifies himself with his disciples in this instance. Whoever receives one such child in my name, that is, one such child who is called by my name, receives me. He identifies with his people because he dwells with them. He dwells in them. Those who have faith who believe on his name are united with him by faith, and the most holy trinity deigns to dwell within those who believe, making them to be his temple. For in holy baptism God put his name on us, regenerated us, giving us new hearts which desire him and make us his temple. In the Lord's Supper... The Lord Jesus Christ comes to us in humble means, so that we receive his body and blood with bread and wine, so that he is with us in a divine communion as he forgives our sins and strengthens our faith. And because he dwells so closely with us, his people, his Christians, that which we do for one another, we do for Christ. When we receive the lowliest of Christians among us, we receive him and he who sent him. But also, when we sin against a brother or a sister, we do so against Christ. That is why he calls us to look upon one another with care, to forgive one another our faults as he has forgiven us, so that we may live in peace and unity with one another as a sign of the peace and unity we have with God because of the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thus in our vocations, every humble act is elevated as we serve our neighbor in acts of love and service. For those lowly acts also serve Christ, the grandmother who watches her grandchildren, the one that loves their spouse, the one that cares for their children and nurtures them, those that help their neighbor in any way. When we do these things according to our vocations, we're also serving Christ because of our faith in him and his presence within us. He turns these things that are mundane and lowly by worldly standards into good and holy works by faith in him. And as we serve him just as he did serve us, as he, though rich, became the least of all and servant of all to save us. Thanks be to God. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning for our sermon. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you always. Amen.